chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, <clears throat> nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. I pray that it would feed our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of my very favorite verses in all the Bible. There's so many different ways you could preach Galatians 2.20. And when I was preparing this message, I was struggling a little bit. I formed a few different outlines before I felt comfortable with how the Lord wanted me to present this to you. I thought about looking at it from the perspective of all the doctrines you see contained in this verse. Our points could have been the substitutionary atonement, crucified with Christ, regeneration, I live, sanctification, Christ lives in me. Or I thought of highlighting the contrast that you see in the text. Paul wants the Galatians to see the cross, not the commandments, faith, not flesh, love, not the law. But my point in sharing that with you is for you to understand just how rich this text is. This is a verse that's both deeply theological and deeply personal. It's great for daily memorization, but it's also great for doctrinal examination. It's a verse that the preschoolers can use in Sunday school, or it's a verse that the seminarians can use and, and think about deep things about God. It's the summary of Paul's argument toward the Galatian church. Now, here's what had happened. The Galatian church had allowed these Judaizers to come into the church and start teaching false doctrine. They were teaching the Gentile believers, if they wanted to be Christians, they had to do things like be circumcised or obey the Jewish laws and essentially become Jewish in their practice. But the Galatian church actually received these false teachers. They allowed these false teachers to come into the church. And so the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians is an appeal for the Galatians to come back to the simplicity of the gospel. Galatians 2.20 is Paul explaining to them the very essence of the Christian life. Look at verse 19, and I'll show you there. In verse 19, you can see it. He says, For I through the law, and dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Verse 20 is really a commentary on verse 19, because what he says in verse 19, he explains in verse 20. In verse 19, he says that he is dead to the law. In verse 20, he says he is crucified in Christ. In verse 19, he says so, so that he can live unto God. And then in verse 20, he says Christ lives in me. So Paul, he wants them to know that the purpose of the law is to show them their sin so that they will recognize their guilt and they'll come to Christ for salvation. Look at verse 24 of chapter 3. He says to them that the law was our schoolmaster bringing us to Christ so that Christ would then save us. The problem with the Galatians is they were reading the Bible backwards. They were going backwards in their walk with God. They were starting with the gospel and going back to the law. And Paul wants them to come to their senses because you can't enjoy the Christian life trying to live according to all those Jewish laws. He wants them to come to their senses. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you five things 
about the Christian life that we see in Galatians 2.20. They're very simple things, but they're things we need to be reminded of. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. In Christianity, there is a death. There is a death. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Now, we have to understand the universal sinfulness of mankind before we can ever appreciate what Paul is actually saying here. You've heard it. You've heard it said, and you no doubt believe it, that we are born sinners. Now, that means a few things. It means, number one, that we will sin as soon as we are able to. Number two, it means that we will die one day. We carry the effects of sin in our life. And number three, it means that we will be held accountable before God for our sins. Now, how did all that happen? Well, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man, that is Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, In Adam, all of us die. Human beings had a representative. That representative's name was Adam. When Adam, the representative of the human race, fell, we all fell. By the way, this is another reason evolution cannot be true. The Bible teaches that sin passes into and through humanity because of the first man, and the first man was Adam. If different human-like creatures developed over time in different areas of the world, then the Bible's not telling us the truth about this. The Bible teaches us that monkeys are not the head of the human race. The Bible teaches us that Adam is the head of the human race and that we are in him, and that we are under him. We are sinners because of Adam, in danger of judgment. His sin was imputed to us. That's why we're born sinners. Romans 5.19 says though, this. It's good news. It says we have a new head. We have a new representative. By the obedience of Jesus Christ, we have been made righteous. What is that obedience? That obedience is the perfect life that Jesus lived on this earth. And that obedience is the death on the cross because the death on the cross fulfilled the law of God. And the death on the cross satisfied the demand for justice. When Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, he means just that. Just as you and I were in the garden with Adam, he was our representative. We were also on the cross with Christ. Christ was our substitute on the cross. He wasn't crucified for his own sin. It was our sin. We are the reason he was on the cross. He wasn't paying a debt that he owed. He was paying a debt that all of humanity owed. So before I was saved, I was in Adam. I participated in his sin. I inherited his sinful nature, and I was on my way to hell. But now that I'm saved, now that I'm saved, I'm in Christ. I participated in his death through faith. I have received his righteousness, and now I'm on my way to heaven. What Christ accomplished on the cross was for us. Righteousness was fulfilled. Justice was satisfied. Dear friends, we are crucified with Christ. The law no longer has a claim on us. Death can no longer threaten us. The grave can no longer keep us. Every demand of God is met in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and I am in Christ. That's good news, church. So we see in Christianity, there is a death. 
the death of Christ, which was also our death if we have given our lives to him. The second thing in Christianity that we see in this verse is a resurrection. We see a resurrection follows that death. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Paul says, I am dead, but I am alive. Well, what is he talking about, church? He's talking about being born again. He's talking about regeneration. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our sins, but now we've been made alive. This is the joy of the new birth, and the new birth is illustrated all throughout Scripture. It's illustrated in ways like the blind being made to see, the deaf being made to hear, the lame being made to walk, the mute being made to talk, the leper being cleansed, the dead coming out of their grave, the imprisoned being set free, the sea splitting in two, the walls tumbling down. You see, salvation is a miraculous act of God that occurs in you when you get saved. You were dead. You were dead, but now you are alive. And because of that, you now see God's promises rather than God's threats. You now want to praise God rather than curse God. You want to serve God rather than run from God. You want to listen in church rather than sleep in church because you have obtained a resurrection, a new birth. You see, Christ's death gives us life. We're not just talking about eternal life. We're talking about abundant life in the here and now. Romans 6, 4 says, We are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even also should we walk in newness of life. Listen to me, church. There is no such thing as an unresurrected Christ, and there is no such thing as an unresurrected Christian. If we have been crucified with him, we have also been raised to walk in a new life. We are alive. The life that we now have is new. The Bible says that we have a new heart in Ezekiel 36, 26. It says we have a new spirit in Ezekiel 18, 31. It says we have a new song in Psalm 40, verse 3. It says we have a new name in Revelation 2, 17. And it says we're a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Dear friends, we are new. And your baptism is a picture of what happened to you on the day you got saved. When you went under the water, it was a picture of your death. You were crucified with Christ. And when you came out of the water, it was a picture of your resurrection. You have a new life in Jesus Christ. You see, church, the Christian life is not only a death. The Christian life is also a resurrection. You're not the old dead sinner you once were. You are a born-again believer, seated with Christ in heavenly places, with not only a new home in heaven, but also a new nature while you live on this earth. Wasn't that good news? So we see a death. We see a resurrection. And the third thing I want you to see in this text is a new identity. Paul says, yet not I. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It's important to recognize how Paul identified himself after he was saved. In the past, Paul identified in all types of ways. He said that, well, he was a man. He said, well, I'm a Benjamite. He said, well, I'm of the circumcision. He said, well, I'm a Hebrew. He said, well, I'm a Pharisee. He said, well, I'm educated. He had a list of ways to identify himself. 
But he said that he counted all of that as a loss because now he was in Christ. His identity was wrapped up in Jesus. In fact, chapter 2 of Galatians is correcting Peter because Peter wasn't acting as if his identity was in Christ. In verse 11, Paul begins reminding the Galatians of how he rebuked Peter. You remember Peter ate with the Gentiles until the Jewish leaders showed up, and when the Jewish leaders showed up, Peter refused to eat with the Gentiles, and even Barnabas himself, the great encourager, even fell into that very same sin. Paul came, and Paul rebuked Peter for being a hypocrite. Peter was living as if, as if his identity was in his nationality, as if his identity was in his ethnicity. Peter was living the old life. He wasn't recognizing that his identity was now in Christ. Listen, when you get saved, everything takes a back seat to who you are in Christ. We live in a day and age in which we're defining who we are. You're born with a specific identity. You're a man, you're a woman, you're white, you're black, you're American, you're Hispanic. And listen, all those things are true, and you can't change that because that's God, what God made you. But when you are reborn, you are reborn with an identity as well. And you are reborn as a Christian. And your Christian identity supersedes everything else. You know what that means, church? It means that I'm a Christian before I'm an American. It means I'm a Christian before I'm white. It means I'm a Christian before I'm black. It means I'm a Christian before I'm a Baptist. My new identity in Christ determines everything in my life now because Christ is my life. Those two little words, not I, are a great way to live the Christian life. If you see anything good in me, it's not I, it's Jesus. If someone gets saved through my preaching, it's not I, it's Jesus. If I bless you in some way, it's not I, it's Jesus. If I haven't cussed in over 20 years, it's not I, it's Jesus. If I haven't taken a drink of whiskey in over 20 years, it's not I, it's Jesus. If my kids grow up to serve Jesus, it's not I, it's Jesus. Not I. What a wonderful way to identify yourself, amen? Not I, but Jesus. And now I live life with a new perspective. I don't ask what I want. I ask what Christ wants. If you invite somebody into your home, don't they become the focus of your attention? When you have guests over at your home to spend the weekend, it disrupts the natural flow of the home, doesn't it? We're always asking them, well, are you hungry? Well, would you like something to drink? Are you comfortable? Would you like to talk? I don't know about you, but i got to be honest with you. When I have folks over, they either want to stay up too late or get up too early. Can I get a witness for that? <laughs> they want to stay up too late. I'm ready to go to bed. But i got to stay up. Why? Because I've invited them into my home. Or they get up too early. I hear things moving around in the kitchen. I don't eat breakfast. I don't want to get up. But i got to get up. Why? I invited them into my home. And so much more. When we invite Christ into our life, Christ is the honored guest. Christ is now the focus of our attention. And Christ disrupts the normal routine of our life. And the difference is this, Christ never leaves our home. In fact, Christ will take us home with him one day. 
And whenever you become a Christian, you receive a new identity, and life is not about me anymore, and life is not about you anymore, but life is about Jesus Christ. So we see a death in Christianity. We see a resurrection in Christianity. We see a new identity in Christianity. And the next thing I want you to see in this text is a life of faith. A life of faith. He says, the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. You see, my life is now no longer controlled by the flesh. It's controlled by what I believe about Jesus. I'm no longer controlled. I'm no longer living by my feelings. I'm living by my faith in Jesus Christ. You see, I believe I have been forgiven. So I live as a forgiven man. I believe I have been made righteous in Christ. So I live as a righteous man. I believe that I'm going to heaven. So I live like I'm heaven bound. I believe that God loves me. So I live as if God loves me. I believe I'm a new creature. So I live life as a new creature. I believe that I'm set free from all the bondage of sin. So I live as one who is set free. I believe the Bible is true. So I live as if I believe the Bible is true. I believe that Jesus Christ will return to this earth, so I live my life as though Jesus Christ will return to this earth. So do you see, we live by faith. We live by faith in the Son of God, and to live by faith means that you take God at His word. My life may get out of hand. I may go through trials. I may go through awful troubles, but I still believe that all things are working together for good. That's the life of faith. My best friends I have in my life may desert the faith, but I'll choose to believe God because I'm living by faith. My children may forsake the way of the cross, but I'll still choose to believe God. This is the life of faith. I don't follow Christ because others do. I follow Christ in faith because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. You see, the Christian life, the Christian life involves getting up every day and making that decision to believe God. Is it difficult? You bet it is. There are days when it's more than difficult to get up and live your life in faith. But whether or not I choose to live in Christ or in the flesh is going to determine a lot of things. It's going to determine if I'm going to whine or if I'm going to worship. It's going to determine if I'm going to live a holy life or if I'm going to live an unholy life. It's going to determine if I'm going to press on or if I'm going to give up. It's going to determine if I'm going to have hope or if I'm going to be hopeless. So do you see, dear friends, that this is a life of faith? So the Christian life is a life of death, a life of resurrection, a life of a new identity, and a life of faith. And finally, the Christian life is a life of thankfulness. Oh, look at the end of that verse, church. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. There are eight different personal pronouns in this one verse. I say that because I want you to understand how personal Paul is in this verse. He sees the work of Christ very personally. Paul says of Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. And dear friend, if you're saved today, if you're a believer today, that's how you see the cross. He loved me. And he gave himself for me. Just shut the world out for a moment. 
Don't think about anything. Get it all out of your mind and just think about the fact that he loves. He loves, a love that's unconditional, that he just loves us. He, he sees us for all that we've ever been. And despite our sin, he loves us. You know, we've hidden much of our faults from many, and they still don't love us. We got people that don't love us, and they don't really have a good reason to. But if they knew some of the things we've done, they might have a reason to. But most of the people who don't love us don't even know how bad we really are. Amen? We've hidden things from them. There are things that you know about yourself, and the only other one that knows is God. And so you, there are people who don't love you, and they don't even know how bad you really are. But here's the good news. God sees all your faults. God knows everything you've ever done that's wrong, and he loves you anyway. Not with some trite, fickle love. His love is grand. As 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You know what John is saying there? John is saying, Behold the love of God. He's saying, Look at the love of God. Think about the love of God. Stand in awe of the love of God. Let me ask you a question, friend. Why does God plant a rose in the middle of the woods where no one can see it? Why does God plant a rose in the middle of the woods where no one can see it? You know why? Because he can see it. He can see it. And you might feel insignificant. And you might feel useless. And you might feel so sinful that you could hardly believe that anyone would love you. But here's what you need to know. God loves you. And he settled it through the cross. He gives himself. He loved me. And he gave himself, he said. Now, now, what could he have given? You might say, well, he had to do that, Brother Kyle. He, he had to give himself for our salvation. Okay, but let me ask you a question. Why did he have to give himself? Who made that rule? You know who made that rule? God made that rule. There's no law outside of God. No law flows to God. Every law flows from God. So Christ didn't just supply the demand. Christ made the demand. Christ made the demand. And then he supplied the demand. When he told Adam and Eve in the garden that their sin would lead to death, he knew that he would ultimately be the one dying for their sin. He's the one who demanded death. He could have demanded whatever he wanted to demand, but he demanded death. He could have demanded silver and gold from the earth, and he could have supplied that. He could have demanded the cattle on a, th cattle on a thousand hill, and he could have supplied that. He could have co demanded the stars and the planets, and he could have supplied that. But what did he demand? He demanded death, and he supplied that. He gave himself in suffering and in death. He loved, Paul says. He gave, Paul says. And that wonderful truth has filled hymn book after hymn book with songs of praise. This truth is the motivation of the Christian life. We live a life of thankfulness because we stand amazed that God loves us and gave himself for us. Christ could not have given more for us than he did. 
Because what's more than Christ, friend? Tell me what's more than Christ. There's nothing that's more than Christ. You name it. There's nothing that's more than Christ. And so he gave the most for us. Now listen, some of you are trying to pay God back. It's not your duty to pay him back. You could never pay God back. Not to mention, he hasn't stopped doing for you. So while you're doing for him, guess what? He's doing more for you while you're doing for him. You know what that means? That means you could never, ever pay him back. What a wonderful thing that he'll forgive us today. What a wonderful thing that he'll provide for us today. You, you try to pay him back, and you'll only see yourself sinking into greater debt. Your job is not to pay him. Your job is to praise him. The Christian life is a life of thankfulness. To stand before God every morning, every day, and every night and say, oh God, what a wonderful thing it is that you've loved a sinner like me. You've given yourself the greatest thing you could give. And you've given me life. And you've taken my death. So there, dear friends, we see the Christian life in Galatians 2.20. A death, a resurrection, a new identity, a life of faith, and a life of thankfulness. And listen to this beautiful, beautiful verse quoted once again. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in, but, but, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful summary of the Christian life. Dear friend, do you know him today? Are you saved? Are you born again? If you're not, I want to call on you. Turn from your life of sin. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again for you. And call on Christ in repentance and faith. And ask him to save you, and he will. He sure will. And maybe you're here today and you are saved. But you just needed to be reminded of the simplicity of the Christian life that you have been crucified with Christ, but now you are, a new, you are alive, that you have a new identity, that you're to live a life of faith, and that you're to live a life of thankfulness. Grab hold of that today. Grab hold of that today and enjoy all that Christ has given you. Father, we love you. We're grateful for Jesus. Thank you so much for him. Thank you for this beautiful verse. Thank you that 